We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. And I think that, you know, there, of course, there are times when teachers are going to feel burnt out and they're going to feel frustrated. But I think that if you feel that your administrators support you or your leaders support you, I feel like that plays a huge role in your engagement and your motivation to want to come to work every day. Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Sarah DeLorme is a sixth grade language arts teacher at CREC's Greater Hartford Academy of the Arts Middle School in Hartford, Connecticut, where she has worked for the past nine years. Sarah earned her Certificate of Advanced Graduate Studies from the University of New England. She received her Master's of Education with a concentration in teaching and learning from Post University and received a Bachelor's of Science in Elementary Education with a concentration in English from Central Connecticut State University. Well, I'd really like to welcome Sarah to the show. I think this is going to be a great show. That was quite a mouthful with all the names of schools and (laughs) accomplishments, so you should be proud of those. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. The first question I, I want to ask you, because of all the, all the schools and all of that, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you love about being a teacher? So I started teaching, as you said in my bio, nine years ago. I began working at the school that I'm currently at, and I've worked there ever since. I started out as an associate instructor where I was placed in a variety of different roles, which I think kind of shaped who I became as a teacher. I was an interventionist. I was a substitute. I did data analysis. I did like all the above, basically. And that kind of allowed me to dabble in different classrooms and to see different perspectives from different teachers, which kind of helped me shape who I wanted to be, which I think was such an amazing way to start my career because it allowed me to see the ins and outs of the background kind of of what goes into teaching and what goes into a school. Um, So that was how I got started. And then I've been a language arts teacher or writing teacher kind of back and forth the last nine years, but always within the language arts field. And I've always taught in sixth grade. So that's where I've been for the last nine years. And it's been a wonderful ride. I've kind of developed the school. I started it. It was a school that my current principal, Mr. Ryan, opened and I opened it with him and I've been there ever since, which has been really cool. And I love teaching because it's just, no matter what you're going through, personally in the education field or whatever your day is consisting of, your students can put a smile on your face. They just 
my students make me laugh every day. They're sixth graders, they're middle school. They're, they can be a little <laughs> ridiculous at times. And that makes me just so happy that no matter if I'm having a bad day, I can start laughing because of them. So that's one of the reasons. But then I also get to witness those light bulb moments when my students discover something for the first time. For my students, language arts, for many kids, they don't love to read, they don't love to write. But then when you start to find that you can discover ways that they can become interested in those things, that's always amazing to see. Like when they finally get it and you see the joy in their face, it just makes it that much more special. And then I would also say that just the impact that you get to have on people's lives. And I know at the end of the year, I'm sure you've experienced it where you get the letters from the kids and you know they share how much they loved your class. It's just always so warming to know that you've made a difference because the kids are excited to see you every day, but then they're also, when they have to leave you, they are sad to leave you. So it's nice to be able to see those miracles happen and then also to, just to be able to experience the love that you get from kids because that's really the best part. You have said so much there that I just want to, I want to hit a couple of things on there because it's sure. so important. A lot of the things you said, one of the first things is that I didn't know you opened the school and for all our listeners, you mentioned Mr. Ryan, yeah. who I always refer to as Bo. Mm -hmm. In the interest of transparency, I played high school football with Bo. He was the quarterback mm -hmm. and I was the lineman. And I know, you know, he's kind of a go-getter and on a straightforward guy. And when I was looking for people to come on this podcast and said, I need some rock star teachers, he mentioned you right off the top of his head. So that says a lot. And then I didn't know that you actually opened the school with him and, um, that you had so many roles before you came into education. Yeah, well, it's a funny story. So I actually student taught at the school that he was the former principal at in Cromwell. And I there were like nine student teachers there. And I went back to visit my class because I missed them so much because we ended in May when college graduates end. And they, of course, finished their school year in June. And I went back to see my kids and he was doing lunch duty, as every principal does, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so... Then my students saw me and they ran out to see me and he contacted me the next day and said, hey, do you want a job? I'm opening a new school next year in Hartford. And so I followed him there, which was really, really cool. And it's also just, I think, interesting to see the way that you can get your name out there because sometimes you can do everything right in the classroom, but it's that one little experience that you need where you know an administrator or a supervisor or someone's like, oh, that made them stand out. So that was really, really interesting. And then, yeah, my first job was just, I did everything basically. And I remember when I <laughs> yeah. interviewed for my actual language arts position and I sat down with Bo Ryan, he was like, I didn't even know you did all those things this year. So it was just kind of <laughs> any way I could find to learn more about what went into teaching. I just took that opportunity. I ran summer school. I ran Saturday Academy. I just looked for different ways to build up my resume and to really become well-versed in what a teacher does. Because I think there's so many ins and outs of teaching that people don't realize that that go along with the job. So I think that that was a great way to kind of bridge myself into becoming a classroom teacher. The idea of keeping an open mind. And if you like education or love education, you love education. So mm -hmm. every aspect, you find that piece where you're interacting with the kids and, and helping them get forward and learn and things like that. You right. mentioned literature, and this is something a lot of schools struggle with is right. Getting the kids interested in reading mm -hmm. and you would mention that it, that's, you know, some of the light bulb moments where they, they suddenly find something they're interested in. How do you get them interested in reading? Do you have any little tricks or tips or strategies that you use that are? Well, I think, I think the hard thing is, is that 
by the time a lot of my students get to sixth grade, they've already developed either a love or hate for reading. And that can be hard to get them out of because they've got this preconceived notion that, well, I'm not a good reader or I can't read. So that that can be hard, just building up. I think the number, the first thing that you need to do is find a way to build some sort of intrinsic motivation within them to see themselves as readers. I never really push, if my students are reading, let's say, at grade level in sixth grade, and they want to read a third grade graphic novel, I would never tell them they can't. Because I think if they're going to find a series, a genre, a type of reading that they can actually be interested in, I never will sway them from that. So that's the first thing is that I never tell them to not read something. I, of course, you know, will give them exposure to things that are above their grade level to challenge them, but I would never tell them that they can't read something because it's below grade level. Um, And then I also think finding different modes of literacy. So audiobooks, graphic novels, you know, different types of magazines, nonfiction, because I will find that our, you know, my units change throughout the year. We'll We'll be doing nonfiction, book clubs, and at some point throughout the year, I'll have my reluctant readers become engaged because, you know, the topics change. And I think that that's important. And I also think student choice is really important. I think that if you give kids the opportunity to choose what they want to read or to choose, you know, how they're going to read, I think that really plays a huge part. No, that's excellent. So a lot of a lot of choice and exposure to different modes of literacy. I think that's mm-hmm. important. I think about my best friend in the car, Audible. And yeah. how many fewer books I'd probably read if I didn't have Audible at my fingertips um, mm-hmm. or podcasts I'd listen to or anything like that. You've got so many different experiences. So what do you think, if you can name one or one that stands out right off the top of your head, what's one of the greatest accomplishments you've had as a teacher? So it actually kind of connects with what I was just talking about. So I mean, the the one of the benefits of being a teacher is that you get to have so many little small moments where you see your students succeed. And that's just a huge accomplishment as a teacher. But one that stands out connects to a student that was a reluctant reader. He just, he would receive special education services, was reading well below grade level, would out loud say to me, I can't read, I hate reading pretty much every day. And he was one of those kids that he had a hard time sitting still. So finding him something that could sustain his attention and really engage him was challenging. I couldn't get him to verbally tell me something to scratch. It was just like pulling teeth to get anything done. And so we had started a book club unit and we were focusing on social issues. And so I looked high and low to find a book that was not only at his appropriate level, but also something that I could interest him in. And I finally found a graphic novel and I was terrified to give it to him because if I lost him that one minute, I was like, well, book clubs are done. I'm not going to hook them the rest of the time. So I ended up giving him a book called Real Friends. And he it was all about friendship. And in sixth grade, luckily, they're still at that age where they're a little bit younger, where they can still kind of focus on a theme of friendship and being loyal to the friends that you love and treating them with kindness. And he, when I handed it to him, I was like, Oh God. And then he opened it and he saw it was a graphic novel. Cause if he saw a graphic novel, that was usually the way to, you know, bring him in. And he shockingly didn't throw it aside. Didn't, you know, not want to read it. And then he turned to me at the end of class, we were focusing on theme. So this theme is a hard lesson for a lot of kids to learn. Yeah, yeah. It's very hard for them to analyze what lesson and characters learned over time. And he turned to me and he's like, you know, Oh, this, this character was learning that if they weren't, you know, kind to their friend, they weren't going to receive kindness in return. And he spit out the theme to me. And I was like, wait, what did you just say? So I I quickly got my (laughs) computer and I copied it down for him. I scribed for him. And 
he told me everything that I needed from him for this response. And it was the first time in the entire year that I'd gotten him to truly stay engaged in, in actual reading and then actually respond to something that related to an element of his book. And so that was amazing for me. But then I have an exemplar wall in my classroom where I print out work and I, you know, I make a big deal. I hang it up. And so I printed his work and I wrote verbatim what he told me. And it was perfect. And so I hung it up and I, I showed him, I said, I'm going to hang this up. I'm going to put it on the exemplar wall. And the smile on his face, I had never seen him so happy. It broke my heart to see the littlest thing that, you know, I would expect from all my students, how happy that made him. And I feel like that this happened three years ago. This student is now in eighth grade. I still, he comes to visit me every day. And I, I'll never forget that moment because it was such just, it was inspiring to see how excited he was over like this little something that all my other students were doing. So that to me was just my biggest success story because it was a student that I didn't think I'd get to do a thing. All I didn't ever think I'd you know get a piece of work out of him all year. And it was a struggle to get work out of him. But then once he saw how successful he was, that motivated him to then continue to try, you know, as the, as the year progressed. I mean, there were still some hiccups and there were some moments where he wasn't feeling it, but in that moment, it, he felt so proud of himself. And that's just, that was just amazing for me to see. That's a great story and really shows the power of literacy. And once somebody mm-hmm. gets a hold of that, uh, Stan Lee, I mean, you know, Stan, I'm sure you know of Stan Lee with uh, Marvel and all of that. His, mm-hmm. the idea of graphic novels, um, and what he's done for literacy with his literacy foundation shows the power of graphic novels. I, I actually had a, a friend, John Gould, who's another principal. He did his doctoral work around the same time I was, and his thesis was on using graphics to break down complex concepts to get across to students in history classes. Well, and I think it's funny because a lot of people think graphic novels are too easy for kids or they're not challenging students. But when you think about all of the different scaffolds or supports that we're told as teachers to provide our students with, it's always visuals. You know, whether it's a graphic organizer (laughs) or whether it's a visual to break down vocabulary, that's always something that we're told is a beneficial tool to help students to be successful. So I find, I always find it interesting. I find that parents are often like, I don't want them reading graphic novels, but there are graphic novels that are, you know, well above our students' grade levels in sixth grade. So I'm like, if it's challenging them to read, it's just giving them something to visualize on paper. So I don't, I don't see the harm in it. (laughs) And it really, it really accesses different learning styles because if you think about, a graphic novel, like uh, I read comics as a kid and I look at some of the graphic novels now where they have that storyboard set up a lot of times, but sometimes they don't and it's one whole page and like text is going into another page. So it's not the straight, narrow paragraph lines that I'm used to reading. Right. I have a hard time reading them sometimes. I'm like, wait, wait, how is this working? They have to explain it to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I'm while you were thinking about that, I mean, you, you mentioned the exemplar wall that you have Mm -hmm. um, where you put the different things up and you're talking about getting students engaged in reading and how especially important the piece about um, I'm not a good reader or I can't read. I don't Mm -hmm. like reading. Can you maybe blow that up a little bit? And it makes me think about, from your point of view as a teacher, what a leader could do to get teachers more engaged. You know, the teachers that are, whether they're a little burnt out or whether they're down on um, Mm -hmm. what they're doing or the circumstance or situation, which we're seeing a lot of now. But for whatever reason, they're, they're not that engaged. And they say, well, I can't do this anymore. This is just frustrating. They leave, they, they go home at at the end of the day and they're, they're not into teaching. 
Mm-hmm. Is there, could you think of anything from a teacher's standpoint that might help hook them? I'm a firm believer that once you do that, the teachers, an engaged teacher, the student wins no matter what. So if leaders can press that lever to get a teacher more engaged. So I think that, and this connects with, you know, empowering teachers. And I think that if we, if teachers are empowered and they feel like the work that they're doing is valued, I think that that engages teachers. I think it motivates teachers. My principal does a great job of, as you mentioned football before, he was a football player, a coach, and he will find ways to cheer us on in his, you know, in that way where he, it just brings focus and it highlights the things that we're doing. So it makes us feel like we're valued. And I think that, you know, there, of course, there are times when teachers are going to feel burnt out and they're going to feel frustrated. But I think that if you feel that your administrators support you or your leaders support you, I feel like that plays a huge role in your engagement and your motivation to want to come to work every day. I think that, you know, of course, there's times where teachers are going to feel frustrated and they're not going to feel as motivated as like, you know, the beginning of the year when you come in with a fresh start. But I think that if teachers are given time to meet together and to plan and be like, hey, look, I can't get this student engaged. What are you doing that's working in your classroom that I could try with my student? And we we have a lot of time built in our months and our planning units where we get time to collaborate with our colleagues, not only my grade level colleagues, but we have vertical teams. So I get to meet with my seventh grade literacy team and the eighth grade literacy team to share ideas, to see things that are going well in one classroom versus another. And that just having that open communication consistently, I think allows me to be like, okay, I need to think, step back, I need to think about what so-and-so did in their room. How can I apply this to my grade level to help my students? And I think that that really plays a huge role, just that collaboration piece. Because in the end, we all want our students to succeed. And especially in a secondary school, you know, my I'm teaching one student and then I've got two other academic teachers that are also teaching that same student. So when we can communicate and, you know, I'm like, so-and-so is not focusing. What, how's he doing in your class? And, you know, if they have ideas, I think that that, it just benefits the whole school because it's benefiting every single student. Right, right. And that's that whole piece about collaboration and allowing for leaders to allow teachers to collaborate and come up with those answers with each other and utilize each other's for resources. Because sometimes, you know, leaders will set some collaboration time, but then there's very clear parameters around, you have to report this out, you have to make sure you're doing this. Mm-hmm. If they just let the process happen and right. empower teachers and trust them to make those decisions. Yeah, um, we talked about how I kept mentioning trust with teachers. And I think that the biggest thing is, as a teacher, I want to feel that I'm, you know, my principal trusts me, that my administrator trusts that I know what's best for my student students and the decisions that I'm making are, you know, with their best interests at heart. And I think that that's a huge thing. I think sometimes administrators, I have never had this experience, but I've heard from my colleague or for, you know, from other friends that I've had that are teachers that they, you know, don't see their administrator that often or don't have, you know, an open communication where my principal's in my room all the time. So I would never feel uncomfortable being like, hey, did you see so-and-so wasn't focused? What, what are some ideas that you have that could help me? So just having an open dialogue and feeling comfortable enough to go to your administrator or your leader, I think is also really beneficial. Yeah, no, absolutely. I do want to shift gears just a second because I always... I always think once you examine a topic, if you flip it upside down, you get to examine it a little more from a different Mm -hmm. angle. You talked about one of your greatest successes, and we went into a little bit about how leaders can do the very same type of thing with teachers. What about a time you didn't do that well as a teacher? And specifically, how could a a leader have helped you through that? Mm -hmm. Not saying one didn't, but how could a leader helped you through that or even kept you from falling into that? 
So I think in the first couple of years of my teaching, I had a really hard time when students would, as students do, have, you know, some moments where they weren't focused. They were disrupting a learning environment. They were dealing with something emotionally and I would end up taking it personally. And I had a hard time separating what my students were dealing with emotionally and not seeing it as it was, you know, like it was directed at me because as teachers, no matter what type of teacher you are, I think you're some sort of a perfectionist where you want things to go exactly as you planned. And we go through our undergrad or master's program where we have to map out like minute by minute what our lesson's supposed to look like. Okay. And I don't think that as you know, beginning teachers, you're 100% prepared for when you've got students that are jumping up and screaming in your lesson because that happens. And so I think that that was hard for me. I would take it personally and I would react in the moment and probably not the right way because then I would end up losing the student completely rather than like, bringing them back in, supporting them, finding a way to get them to kind of reflect and change their behavior. So I think that that's something that I've, over time, I've definitely learned and grown as a teacher with how to do. But I think that if, you know, in the moment, if I if I didn't have an administrator or if I needed someone to be supported, I think the way that a leader could handle that well is providing support if a teacher reaches out and says, I'm having a hard time with this student, can you can we sit down and develop a plan to, to support them? Because when I did experience that, I never you know felt uncomfortable reaching out to my principal and saying like, hey, I need some support. And I think that that's the biggest thing is I said before, having that trusting relationship and that respectful relationship. And you have to, as a teacher, feel comfortable going to your administrator and saying that you need some support. And I think that some beginning teachers might be fearful of that. And I think that as a leader, you have to have that disposition where you allow your teachers to feel as though they can come to you. Because I think that sometimes teachers might feel that they're being evaluated constantly by principals, Mm -hmm. leaders. And there's that difficulty of, I don't want to seem like I'm a bad teacher if I reach out. But I think that as leaders... But, you know, the main role is to mentor teachers and to help them and to guide them to be the best teacher they can be. And I think that if, you know, you have that relationship or that, you know, way of making your teachers feel comfortable that they can come to you, I think that that is always really helpful. So is there a way to fast track that feeling of support? I know trust, you know, there's so many sayings. If you if you go on Google about trust takes forever to build and a second to lose all that. And a lot of times it's through the small actions and small consistent action is what really builds trust over time. But I think about new teachers coming into the profession, a profession that actually, you know, needs new teachers, not feeling comfortable enough because they're in a new, they're in a new environment. Mm -hmm. They're treading water their first year. Is there a way that you think that can be fast tracked for teachers to understand that reaching out for help is not a negative, is not a bad thing on I think that for, I think it would be beneficial to first develop, you know, like time for collaboration with within the teachers, because then it allows new teachers to meet with veteran teachers and to kind of, you know, because there's always going to be not gossip, but there's going to be conversation about, you know, the past and how things have gone in the school. And I think that, you know, if teachers can form some sort of, you know, whether it's a grade level team or a vertical team, like I was talking about, it allows the new teachers to develop a relationship with their colleagues and to kind of learn who their administrators and leaders are. I think that that's one step. Then I also think that, you know, leaders should make an effort to be in the classrooms, like my, my administrators in my classroom, like I said, every day, just because seeing their face and seeing them acclimated within the learning environment, it just seems natural. It's not, you know, I don't feel nervous when my principal comes in. I'm not like, oh God, I'm getting evaluated. I'm not freaking out. It's just normal for me. So I think that 
having that open door policy where they're not just locked in their their office, they're out and they're helping. You know, they're getting up, they're helping students, they're checking to see what students are doing. So it becomes not only normal for the teachers, but for the students as well. So I think having that open door policy of, you know, just where I'm in it with you, I'm going to be helpful, I'm going to be, you know, out and about in the classroom and in the school with you. And then I think also just learning about each other. My principal does a great job of finding things that you know we can talk about. Like if I see him in the hallway, my husband's a huge University of Michigan football fan. And so he'll talk about, we'll talk about college football every fall. That's our thing. So we he finds a way to make a connection with each of the teachers outside of teaching. And I think that that's a big part as well because he's, he's seeing us as human and he's seeing us as people. So it allows us to develop a relationship outside of just teacher administrator. So for anybody listening to this podcast, you just kind of got a quick masterclass from Sarah on (laughs) how to build relationships, trust, communicate, and be visible uh, (laughs) as a leader, which then kind of fast tracks people. So that's, that's an, that's some excellent advice you gave there. You know, and it makes me think as, as I'm talking to you and listening, almost if, you know, in, the, in a current evaluation system, and I'm not sure how it is in, in Connecticut, but in Massachusetts, the current evaluation system put down by the state is that you evaluate new teachers more frequently. Yeah. And so where your veteran teachers have maybe three evaluations in a year, your newer teachers have somewhere around eight, seven to eight with mm-hmm. the formative in the middle and all that stuff. It almost makes me want to say, why are we evaluating the new teachers for the first six months instead of just building relationships with them? It's a really good point because ours is very similar. We have no formal observations once you've reached a certain point. It's just more informal. We have our you know superintendents that will come and observe us and that's a little terrifying, but it does happen. <laughs> and I think it's good for everyone because in any job that you do, you get evaluated. And I think that it's important that you're, you know, you're, identifying whether or not you are progressing as a teacher or if you're becoming a little stagnant and there's some area for improvement. But I think that's a really good point that new teachers should not necessarily be evaluated, but kind of mentored. And I know that we have a program where we do team. I don't know if you guys have that in Massachusetts. I'm not sure. What is it, team? So team is where a new teacher is assigned a mentor teacher and they develop goals and plans to kind of like master new things that they want to implement into their classrooms. And so that mentor teacher guides them. Yeah. So we have this program that new teachers have to do. And I think that that's a great program, but I also think that sometimes it's just added pressure to new teachers where it's like, let's just let them get settled and figure things out because the first year, never mind in a pandemic year because we have a new first year teacher and I feel horrible for him because he's trying to learn to be a new teacher while also dealing with COVID. But I think that it's really beneficial for teachers to learn how to become a teacher because you're not, you can prepare in your undergrad, but until you actually have a classroom of your own, you're not really going to understand, you know, what works best for you as a teacher because there's, you're going to change things. Like I think the biggest thing about a teacher I've learned is that you have to be so flexible like in the moment, because there's days where, and I teach the le- my same lesson three times a day and I'll teach it one way, one block, and then I'll go to teach it the next block. And I'm like, I have like blank stares, just completely right. staring at me. I'm like, right. okay, right. we're going to redo this really quickly. Just give me a second. And you just got to learn to think in the moment. So I think that new teachers have to, you know, it's trial and error your first year. It's figuring out what works, figuring out what doesn't. And I think that's where, that's where a mentor piece can play an important role. We do, we have an official mentor program that, you know, the state requires you to have as a new teacher. Yeah. But like you said, you know, so you have your evaluations from your department chair or your principal, depending on how big the school is. Mm -hmm. And then 
you have any other kind of visits and then you have the mentor meetings that are scheduled and then you have mm-hmm. the whole group mentor meetings that are, it just becomes overwhelming a Yeah, in a year where you're trying to do plans, you're trying to figure stuff out and you're trying to keep up with everything. And so I yeah, think no, that makes a lot of sense. I've read a lot of blogs and things like that, that, you know, a lot of teachers leave after their first couple of years because things can be so overwhelming. And I think that the more that we push collaboration, the more that, you know, like my first year I got, I got to observe so many different teachers and the more that you get to wit, you know, just observe even different contents than you teach. It's just beneficial because you can learn so much from other teachers. And I think that's the biggest thing is creating that culture where collaboration is the key to, you know, all whatever you want to be successful in your school, I think that's the best way to do it is just to be a collaborative school that's a professional learning community. That's a big topic, the idea of creating a culture of collaboration that I just want to take two minutes here and Mm -hmm. uh, hear from our sponsors real quick. But I definitely want to come back and touch on that because I think you just opened up a big can (laughs) of stuff to talk about. So (laughs) we'll be right back. Today's podcast is sponsored by Better Leaders, Better Schools, the podcast that inspired me to start this one. Since 2015, the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast has released hundreds of episodes with millions of downloads. Subscribe and listen each week to great conversations on the topic of school leadership. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Okay. And we're back with Sarah. And, you know, when we left off right before that, we talked about creating a culture of collaboration. And, you know, a lot of times the first thing that comes to mind when you talk about a culture of collaboration or meetings are PLCs. We love to throw those, that term around, especially in the age of Twitter, where everybody says, I'm, I'm with my PLC on Twitter. Often that looks a lot different in a school. And I know you're dedicated to PLCs in your school. So maybe you could help leaders a little bit by giving some advice on how to create that culture of collaboration and make it deep and meaningful. Yeah, so our school function as a P- as a PLC, it's one of those buzzwords, but we really do collaborate every single day. So we are standards-based grading. We use um, that to grade and assess our students, which has been a wonderful transition. And with that, we work as a vertical team. So my grade level partner and I, there's another language arts teacher, Our focus every month is to identify the priority standards that we plan to assess. And we have specific forms that we fill out where we identify those standards. We identify how we're going to implement them into our classrooms and how we're going to assess whether our students have mastered them. So we do that. We do this every month. We meet the first week of the month. We identify those things. We sit down and map it out. Then we come together at the end of the month and we assess our data. We see how our students did. We identify which students mastered, which students didn't, and then we identify how we're going to support the students that didn't. So it's a continuous reflection of how our students are doing and how we can support them to fill those gaps. And now 
we do that with my vertical part or my grade level partner. And then we meet as a vertical team and we talk with the seventh grade language arts teachers and the eighth grade. And we discuss what went well, things that we need to work on. And that's once a month. So twice a month, I'm sitting down with my grade level partner, mapping things out. And once a month, I'm sitting with my vertical team. So it's constant collaboration across not only you know within our grade, but then across grade levels as well. And then as a grade level team, we also meet weekly and we sit, we plan, we map things out. So it's just a, it's just common in our school. It's not something that is just talked about. It's just a common practice. It's not optional. So, and I found that it's been so beneficial to meet and to be able to collaborate with my peers and my colleagues because as I mentioned earlier, you learn from one another. And I think that I've grown as an educator because I'm constantly working with others and I'm constantly sharing ideas and learning from ideas that have worked well in their classrooms. You know, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought up the idea of it not being optional because oftentimes as leaders, we'll put some things in that aren't necessarily optional for teachers. However, it still doesn't get that level of engagement or that the deep meaning out of it that we would hope it would. So how is it that a leader can get that to happen? Because I know we talked about empowerment before, right? And trusting your Mm -hmm. teachers and not putting all kinds of formats in place. Was there anything specific that you can remember that was done leadership wise? Like how does a leader get that system set up and operating in their school? So each of our grade level teams has a team leader that is the spokesperson for our administrators. So they meet as a, you know, administrative team or a leadership team, they call it. And then our grade level team leader is the spokesperson for, okay, here's what we have to accomplish. Here's when we accomplish it by, here's the time that you have to work. So our prep time, we get like a monthly calendar and our prep time is mapped out as to here's what your focus should be. And it'll just sometimes say, vertical teams, grade level teams. And so we, you know, utilize that time that we're given in the way that it fits us as teachers. So maybe Monday, you know, it didn't work well for me and my grade level partner to sit down, but then Tuesday it does. So it's very, it's flexible, but it's also, there are due dates and there's expectations of what we should be accomplishing. So it's a, it's a mixture of both, but there are specific forms that we're filling in. There's specific dates that we have to turn stuff in by. So it does give us Because I think as teachers, that's how our brain works. We have to have, okay, (laughs) what do I need to do? And when do I need to do it by? So there's definitely, there's, there's that. There's the expectation of what we're expected to complete. But then there's also the flexibility of how and when it works best for us. That's good. So you have, you know, people work better with a deadline. Um, often uh, and that structure that they can work in. But the idea that you are then free to work within that deadline, it's basically just on the larger scale from what we do as teachers with students in class, right? Right, exactly. So, well, we're, we're getting near the end, but I have two questions I have to ask you that I try to ask every guest. And the first one is, if you were not a teacher, who, not what, would you be and why? So I think that I would still be involved in education because I think it's, I'm just drawn to it. Um, I think that I see myself as I you know, become, and I don't want to say a veteran teacher because that makes me feel like I'm getting older, but (laughs) as I've become more versed in the education world, yes, I love that word. I think that I could, I really see myself mentoring teachers. It's something that I enjoy doing. It's something that I've, you know, found that I've started to do as I've become more experienced. But I also, I really love to work with curriculum because I think that it's important that the people that are designing the curriculum that we're expected to teach have experience in teaching because I think that teachers know best, how their students learn and the ways that they learn best. And I think that if we have teachers that are developing curriculums that, you know, are then going to be implemented, I think 
who better than to have a teacher do it? So I definitely see myself as someone that is working with new teachers, mentoring new teachers. I've had teachers come observe my classrooms. And I think that's so great to be able to open my doors and to be like, hey, come on in. I don't know if what I'm doing works for you, but come see it anyways. So I think that I see myself, you know, always in that role of teaching. I don't know whether it's teachers or students, but I always see myself in that position in some way, shape or form. So you're a teacher through and through, no matter what it is. I think so. When I was little, I used to pretend I was a teacher. So I guess it really is who I was meant to be. <laughs> really? Really? Yep. <laughs> Do you used to run class with brothers and sisters or relatives or? Uh, I had fake students. They listened very well, but I would <laughs> put my mom's heels on. I would have a whiteboard. I was all ready to go. When we switched to smart boards, I was not very happy. I really liked the whiteboard <laughs> and the chalkboard. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Look, you know, you've said, a, you've said so many great things. I, I actually, I'm disliking getting to the end of the, the podcast because of all the <laughs> stuff that we're talking about. But um, I, I do want to ask you, what's the single most important piece of advice you would give to a leader as they work to better support, engage, and empower their teachers? I think that this is, it's been a common theme that I keep talking about is just that trust piece. And I think, you know, working to find a way to create a relationship with your teacher so that they feel that you trust them and that you respect them. And I think that, you know, it obviously goes both ways. There is a mutual respect that needs to be be developed. And I think that that's crucial. But I think that, you know, making sure that teachers feel as though you understand and trust what, what they're doing, that you know, like, their, their best judgment is their best judgment and they want, they have their best students' best interests at heart. And I think that just really giving teachers time to collaborate in order to really develop and strengthen that, you know, learning community and making sure teachers feel supported because, you know, no matter if you're a first year teacher or a veteran teacher, you need support and everybody, you know, functions better when they have support. And I think that that's the biggest thing to be a successful school. I think that's, that's the best thing. Yeah, that's, that is a great piece of advice that everybody from first year to 12th year to 26th year mm-hmm. continues to need support. This is, a, this is a profession that continues to change. I did want to ask you uh, and build off of that a little bit because you, you talk so much about trust and building that relationship. So especially during a tough year like this, where that trust bank is kind of run a little low because sometimes, you know, leaders have to make decisions that are pushed onto them from state or regulations and things like that, that they might not agree with, they have to do, uh, might upset teachers. So that, that wears on that, mm-hmm. that relationship. Any ideas of how a leader can protect that or keep it from wearing too thin so irreparable damage isn't done? I think that it's important to you know, hear from your teachers. I think that it's important, especially in a year like this, to reach out and just say, hey, what are your, you know, of course there's some instances where in a pandemic, there's choices that need to be made and those can't be changed. But I also think it's important to, you know, ask for advice from your teachers and to be, you know, to be aware that not only are the students affected, but teachers are affected in the school community. So I think it's important to have an open dialogue and to, you know, to reach out and say, hey, what are your thoughts on this? Do you guys have any ideas? I know that at my school, you know, if we have a day where, you know, we're gonna do like a celebrate your students day, you know, there's always like, okay, let's sit down and in a Zoom, wherever it is and just share ideas. What do you think would work? And I think that allowing teachers to have a voice is very important. And I think giving teachers that opportunity to share their opinions is crucial in empowering teachers. That's excellent. Thank you for putting out that out there. I know a lot of leaders are gonna, are gonna benefit from that. So you made it, we're at the end. But you've said um, you've said some really great things. So 
if people want to reach out to you and maybe ask for some advice, opinion, or maybe you can help mentor some some teachers that reach out that to you. That would be amazing. Yeah. What's the best way to get in touch with you? So my, I mean, I have my Twitter, which mm-hmm. it's not been as active this year because of, you know, all the restrictions, but my Twitter is at Estelorm, E-L-A. Okay. And then my, I mean, my email obviously is an awful great way to get in touch with me. My email is same thing, Estelorm at crec.org. It's C-R-E-C.org. All right. I will put those both in the show notes. I'm, I'm uh, thinking that some people might want to get in touch with you after listening to this. Yeah, of course. That'd be great. So thank you very much. I really appreciate you uh, coming on and and offering all this great advice and and information for us to, to look through. Of course. Thank you for having me. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.